verses 1 through 16. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for, build, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for this morning, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity that you give us to come before your throne and worship you in song, Lord, to worship you through the knowledge of growing in your word. Father, I pray for this uh, next part in our um, our morning, Lord, that as we learn uh, from your word, that you would speak through Kevin, that you would speak through the words uh, that you've given us in the text, Lord, and that we would uh, be changed because of you. Lord, would your spirit be working uh, in our hearts and in our minds uh, throughout this time? I pray that words of this text would ring true of us, that we would be united in one body um, under you um, and seeking to, to worship and glorify you in all things. Jesus, we love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys can grab a seat. Thank you. Uh, thank you guys for being here this morning. Uh, welcome to Aletheia Church. My name is Kevin. I am one of the pastors here. I appreciate you guys uh, being with us to worship uh, this morning, if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn it over to Ephesians chapter 4. That is where we're going to be in the text this morning. And while you're turning over there, uh, how many of you guys are uh, seniors, grad students, or whatever, but you're going to graduate sometime in the next 12 months? Raise your, raise your hand here. Okay, so we've got, we got about like you know about 10 or 15 of you guys. Okay, so I, I want to let you guys know about something uh, we're, we're starting uh, at the church here this fall, and will continue, hopefully, by God's grace uh, for the next decade uh, plus. Um, so one of the things we want to do um, as a church is, is in your time, if you're a student here, is we want to equip you uh, to know Jesus, know what he's done for you, and then in that equipping, equip you to then live that out for the rest of your life so you can, as, as Daniel said last week, and as you're going to kind of continue to hear us say over the course of the next couple months, be the everyday church. You know, be, be the church in whatever context God has called you to, whether that's as an engineer or a doctor or a nurse 
nurse or as an airplane mechanic or in the military or as a mom or as a dad or whatever, whatever future kind of career and place that you're going to live, uh, we want to equip you to live that out to the glory of God. Okay, and so the reality is this. Uh, one of the things we want to do is help launch you guys into that next season, right, and, pre and prepare you for what that's going to be. And so one of the things we want to do is this. We want to ask you guys to consider what it looks like to give two years of your life in some way, shape, or form to intentionally helping the advancement of the gospel after you graduate. Okay, and, and what I mean by that, and it's not a, we're not asking you guys to, you know, uh, not pursue your career or whatever else it may be. But what, what we want to do is we want to sit down and have a conversation with you and talk about what it looks like to be intentional. And so for this next season, right, what we want to do is if you're if you're a graduating senior, um, we're going to have some signups in that back corner towards Derek. Derek, will you raise your hand just so they can see and point to that table behind you? Um, I'll be back there with Josh afterwards. If you are graduating in sometime in the next 12 months, would you come back, sign up, and what we'll do is we'll buy you coffee or we'll buy you lunch, and we just want to sit down and talk with you about what this next season of life can look like, okay? And what we would love for you to consider doing is either stick around here two years and giving two years to help us continue to build this thing out and reach people here in Gainesville, spend two years moving somewhere, wherever your career might take you, to be specific and intentional and helping with a church plant launching in the next season, right? And you can be an engineer or you can be a doctor or whatever it may be, but doing that in the context of reaching people and being intentional about your decisions. I think one of the things that like I've seen consistently with some of you UF grads is you guys are have been high achievers in middle school, high achievers in high school, you're high achievers when you get to the University of Florida, and then you think immediately that you need to then shoot for the, the, the top office in the big building in downtown Atlanta. And I'm okay with that if that's what God calls you to, but I also want you to be doing that in light of the mission of God. I want you to be doing that in light of making much of Jesus in that city or in that place. So we want to help you process through that so that we can chat about your future and we can pray for you. And our desire is to launch you out into the world as an ambassador for Christ. We want to follow through on what God asks of us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So that, so that 10 years from now when people are like, hey, what, what, what has Aletheia Church done in Gainesville? Right? We've made disciples who make disciples who are sharing the good news in every facet of their life. That's what we want you guys to be doing. So if you are graduating sometime in the next 12 months, will you please stop by that table in the back and sign up? Again, this is not a commitment to do something. We just want to sit down and have a conversation with you. Okay? Awesome. Uh, I know we're excited after the big win yesterday, but if we can t uh, temper that excitement towards the Lord instead of the Gators, uh, we're going to have a good morning this morning. So Ephesians chapter 4, uh, and over the last three chapters, what we've been talking about is this idea of identity and who we are in Christ, and, and where we derive, and, and basically how we ask simple questions about ourselves, like who are we, and who are we in light of God? And so Ephesians chapter 1 through 3 are very, very heavy theologically. And what I, what I mean by that is Paul is just kind of laying out for the Ephesian church just some, some very basic things about who God is, 
and who they are in light of being in Christ. And because they are in Christ, some of the things that Paul says are, are true of them is that they were chosen by God, loved before the foundations of the world, that, that they were granted sight, that they were brought from death to life and that they're now alive, that they, they've been adopted, that they've been brought into the church, the body of Christ, and that they have unity and diversity with one another, and that they now have purpose and strength to walk forward in the advancement of God and his kingdom. So, so basically the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians is Paul just laying out these facts like this is who you are this is who you are remember what God has done remember who he is remember who you are in light of him and so then we're going to get to chapter four this morning and Paul transitions he moves from talking about who God is and who we are in light of what he has done to how do we walk in light of that information what what moves us or how should we respond to the truths of who we are? So our goal this morning will be to look at the text and understand a few things from those verses that Jackie read to you guys earlier. But then at the end, I'm going to kind of pull out four major themes I want you to see from the text and how we can respond to the gospel in light of those things. So look at the first seven verses with me of Ephesians chapter 4. Paul says this, I therefore... A prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So any of you guys that have been around for any uh, particular length of time, you've heard it, heard me say frequently that whenever you see that word therefore in the scripture, you know that the author is getting ready to make a transition in the text that they're going to be moving from a main idea or a big thought uh, or an action item, and they're going to be moving to a, a different one, right? And so, so Paul says this, he drops this line, therefore, meaning that he's transitioning, and he's basically saying, hey, in light of everything I've just told you in these first three chapters, right, in light of our God-given identity in Christ, here is what we're called to do. And he says this, Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. He says, look, 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 church. Out of your identity, there should be movement. There should be action. That there should be, there should be visible fruit that is derived from your identity in Christ, right? And he lists a bunch of things there to, to encourage them on how to live and how they might respond to the calling to which they have been called, right? He says, and notice this, right? One of the things that he's very quick to point out again, right? He says, be eager to maintain unity, right? Paul is quick to remind us of the, the importance that unity plays in the church and to the world around us, right? That God's desire is for his family, which is the church, and in that church for that family to walk together hand in hand in love of God and one another. That, that we work from being in Christ, therefore the church should look a lot like family. 
right? And he says in maintaining that unity, some of the, the, the physical markers that, that should dictate what we look like to the world around us are, are, are words like humility, gentleness, patience, and he says, bearing with one another in love. And, and, and I wrote this down. I want you guys to think through this, right? Notice, notice how when Paul says that we're called to love one another, he says that we bear with one another. Does it, do you guys know why he does that? Because here's the reality. We're going to annoy one another once in a while. Like, can we just be honest? Like, whenever, whenever like, we get together as a church and, like, there's issues in the church, it's always just really weird. It's like, oh, you know, Kevin's annoying. But I don't want to tell him because he's, you know, he goes to church with me. And, and you know, it's just, it's, just, it's just awkward. You know, the reality is, is even from the scripture, Paul's basically saying, yeah, you guys are going to get on one another's nerves at some times. Like, it, it, like it's bound to happen. Like, don't, don't be shocked when someone in your community group or, or your roommate who might also be a Christian or the person sitting to your right or left here this morning annoys you. Like, the reality is, is that that, that is a, a, a hallmark of the human race, that we get under one, uh, another, one another's skins because oftentimes we're searching and seeking out for number one and living for number one, and guess what? That person sitting next to you, guess who they're looking out for? Themselves. And so that, that's going to inevitably clash at times. And so Paul says, look, and, and notice the language here, right? No, even though he's using adjectives and words to describe what, the way we walk, all of these things have actions attached to them. Either you choose to be humble or you don't. That humility is a choice, right? Either you choose to be gentle with somebody or you don't, right? You can choose to be gentle with somebody or you can choose to be harsh with them. You can choose to be patient with somebody or choose not to. I mean, 95% of my parenting of my two kids is me screaming the word patience, right? As we're trying to get them to understand that the universe doesn't revolve around them, right? And then he says, bear with one another in love, right? You're choosing to love somebody in spite of the worst in them. Choosing to spend time with them and invest with them. If you guys remember last week, uh, Pastor Daniel talked about identity as well because it's just been the consistent theme that we're seeing in the book of Ephesians, right? And he said this line, and I think it's super important that we remember this, that, that we work from a place of approval in Christ, not for approval. And so everything, right, that Paul is saying here when we get to Ephesians 4 is that from that place of approval— that place of approval should shape who we are, and because it shapes who we are, it'll shape what you believe about yourself and will ultimately shape how you live. That if you truly understand who you are in Christ, you will seek to walk in a manner worthy of that calling. That you will seek to make much of him, and you'll be worried less about Kevin and Kevin's interests and what he's doing, and more about the kingdom of God and God's interests. That you live from that identity of being, as he says there, in one body, with one faith, with one Lord, with one God and Father. Because you know who you are in Christ. You know who you are because of Jesus and the grace that he has poured out 
on you in the gospel that you're forgiven, that you're loved, that you're chosen, that you're granted sight, and all the things that we've mentioned over the course of the last several weeks looking at this. And as Paul says here, knowing that identity moves us to walk in humility, gentleness, patience, and love. See, our tendency is to, is to get to Ephesians 4, and we see what Paul says, and we're like, well, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not a good Christian. Guys, can I, can I let you in on a little secret? There's no such thing as a good Christian. There's not. There are those who are in Christ, and there's those who are not. It, you know, it's not some video game where you're leveling up over the course of your life, you know, so that you can attain to the level that God wants you to get to. As you're being sanctified, you become more like him and you experience God's grace and his joy more frequently because of that. But you're, but you're not trying to attain to something to, to earn his favor and his love. You are working from a place of approval if you are already in Christ. Let me give you guys an example. I, I, I use my son a lot uh, because... I, I learned so much about how the Lord relates to me and, and how he is molding me and disciplining me and, and teaching me who I am in being a father. I, I'm learning so much about God simply from being a father. And, and one of the things that is, is happening in our house right now is that Gideon's a little bit older, so he's becoming more and more independent. And, and it's a lot of fun. It's really fun to kind of see his personality and see what, see what God's doing in his life and, you know, seeing how he's way smarter than his dad is and he can, he can carry a conversation with a lot of you guys that not even I can do. And he, he, he's less awkward than Derek is even in conversations. So love you, buddy. Uh, but, you know, he, he's, he's just really, really mature for his age. And, and he's able to do all these different things. But one of the things that kind of frequently comes out is, you know, for the first couple years in his life, there was, there was not a ton of responsibility that we would place on him. You know, he'd make these messes or he would do these things, and Jackie and I would just kind of come alongside him and clean up after him or do these things. We'd help dress him in the morning, help him brush his teeth, all these different things. And as he's grown, we've been giving him more and more responsibilities. And one of the things that's come up recently in our house is that Josiah, our three-year-old's uh, number one job and gifting in life is to make as big of a mess in our house as possible at all times. That, that if you asked him and he could articulate that to you, what does God want you to be? He would say a, a mess maker and a destroyer of all things in my path and wake. And so, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll leave at, at, at night or whatever or it's in the morning and the house will be spotless and I'll get back by lunchtime and it looks like a bomb went off in the living room because the kids have a room with all these toys, but he just brings them out. And I, I haven't asked Jackie if this is specifically what he does, but I think he opens the little container and then just throws it in the air and says, let's play, right? And so... Our house is just chaotic all the time. And so Gideon, he'll come home, and I'll, I'll come home, and I don't function well in that, that chaos around me. And so I'll just say, hey, Gideon, I want you to help me clean up. He's like, well, I didn't make the mess. It's true. Right? He, he didn't. He may have participated. Somebody didn't get the mess, but I'll just say this to him. And this is one of the things we're kind of consistently reminding him. You know what, buddy? But who are you? What's your name? And he'll say, I'm Gideon Anderson. Well, you're a part of our family, and because you're a part of our family, right, this is what our family does. Our family is marked by the things that we love one another, and we help one another out when we need help. And right now, Josiah's three, and he's young, and he doesn't understand how to, to not make a complete disaster of the room whenever he's around, right? And so we're going to come alongside him, and we're going to help him the same way that mom and dad helped you when you were younger to bring you to a place where you know to clean up after yourself. You're, you're gonna, you get the opportunity now as his brother to lead him and show him and work from this place because you're an Anderson. And this is what Andersons do. We love one another and we come behind one another. 
right, that we're constantly reminding him, right, that he is our son. And even when we're disciplining him, we discipline him from a place of approval, not a place of where he needs to earn our approval, right? Hey, Gideon, what you did is wrong because you are my son, not because you're trying to earn my favor. And this is the way God is communicating with us, that even in these calls to walk forward in humility and patience and gentleness and love, that we're doing that from a place of being in Christ. That if you are a follower of Christ, the same way that Gideon's last name is Anderson, your last name would be in Christ because you are in him. And if you move from just that knowledge of knowing that, right, to really grasping how that affects you, it will lead to life change. I, I, I tell people all the time, if, if you are in Christ, you will change. I'm sorry, I hate to break it to you, but you will. Right? If you don't want to change and you like your life a lot the way that it is, don't become a follower of Jesus. Because God will change you. And part of that change is this walking out the implications of the gospel in loving one another and bearing one another's burdens and walking with humility, gentleness, and patience. Now, I want to hit on this next part of the text because it can be a little confusing to some people, right? But when we get to verse 8, look at what Paul says. He's like, okay, look, God's bestowed this grace on you and he's given you these gifts and we want you to live that out and walk that out. And he says, therefore, it says... When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Now, verse 8 is a quote from Psalm 68, uh, verse 18. And if you've ever read Psalm 68, I'll just, I'll, I'll let you guys know what's going on in that verse. But it's, it's basically a victory hymn. David is celebrating God liberating them from their enemies. And he's singing praises to God about what God has done and he's celebrating. And if you know, if you know anything about biblical times, typically what happened is that if a king went off to war and returned victorious, guess what they did? They celebrated, right? They had, they had a party right, that, that they were super excited, right, about winning this battle. And what would happen is, is the king would return, and he would throw this celebration, and there would be dancing and music and a party, and then he might even bestow gifts to, to some of his key leaders and people within his kingdom, thanking them for their role in the battle and the victory over the enemy. And what David is saying here in Psalm 68 is, is this reminder of, hey, God has liberated us. God has saved us again, right? We're going to celebrate what our king has done. And so Paul, by quoting Psalm 68 here, is trying to remind us, hey guys, sometimes we just need to celebrate what Jesus has done, right? I, I know that we can get lost in the, in the fog of the chaos of the world around us, pol politics, sports, school, work, family, health issues, uh, name anything, right? And, so, and, and when we are walking through seasons of suffering, it's easy to forget to be excited about what Christ has done. It's easy to kind of lose sight of that victory in Jesus. But, but here's a fact, guys, right? If you're a follower of Christ here this morning, right? Here's a fact. 
You and I were once separated from God in an open rebellion towards the creator of the universe. We weren't just like people that did bad things. We were in open rebellion. And God, in his mercy, sent Jesus, who lived a perfect life according to the law and to the will of his Father, the life you and I couldn't live. And then, at the end of that life, he went to the cross. And when he went to the cross, he went there in our, in our place to pay the penalty for our crimes and sin and rebellion towards the Father. Although he himself had done nothing wrong. And then in dying in our place, he was buried and rose again three days later, proving that he had defeated sin and death once and for all. He is victorious, and because he is, we are. There's no, there's no news on earth that is better than that news. That, that, think, guys, death is done away with. It's done. Right? I mean, you might... You will experience physical death, but your soul lives in eternity because of what Jesus Christ did, right? And there's a tendency for us to get worried about what specifically Paul is saying here in regards to being put in the ground. Let me tell you what Paul wants you to focus in on these, in these verses. Jesus came, died, and rose again in victory over death, and that we should be celebrating that fact every single day of our lives, that there's nothing bigger than that. And that in that celebrating, the church comes together in unity, celebrating what Christ has done, and that we then get to walk in a manner worthy of that celebration. Let me ask you guys, how many of you guys celebrated last night after that game? Yeah. It's, why? it's so easy for us, right? I mean, in, in reality, the Gator football program is a lot like us pre-Christ. They've been miserable for forever. I mean, just awful. Like, for me, coming into this town, right, and not really caring that much about the football program, like, it was really hard for me in the early years just to see, like, every year, everybody be like, oh, man, we're going to be great this year. And I'm like, man, you guys are probably not. And the reason I know that is because my favorite professional sports team is also miserable. And so I can see it from a mile away. And there's just, oh, there's just, you know, oh, we're going to be fine. And then inevitably, right, the, the, the nine to six loss at home happens. And it's just like three hours of just pure torture, having sat in that 130 degree stadium. And then the next morning you guys would walk in and everyone says like this. <laughs> right, because it affects you. Right, and yeah, I see you guys walking in this morning, right, none of you guys have had a coffee and you're just like, hey, hey. What's going on, right? Because everyone's so excited about the victory and the win. And yet, guys, here, here's the deal, right? Right? Might we use the word of God to have us walking with that same level of excitement because of the victory that we have in Christ? Your sin, your suffering. The, the terrible things we see going on around us in the world is nothing compared to the victory that we see that Jesus had over sin and death and his life, death, burial, and resurrection. There's nothing like it, right? There is nothing like experiencing that victory that we have in Christ. And so Paul is saying here in verses 8 through 10, look, we can celebrate 
Because Christ has won and he gives us good gifts in his victory. Right? Which is drastically different than that team because you guys gave your money, your time, and your talents yesterday to that team. And they didn't give you anything in return other than a win. And yet Jesus gives you a win that says, here, have some spiritual gifts and grace on top of it. Right? Because he's a good king who's returned from victory over the grave. And that's why Paul quotes Psalm 68 there. Now, this victory isn't just to be experienced at some future later date and time in heaven, but this victory actually motivates us in the here and now as we celebrate as a church. Right? Look at what he says starting in verse 11. And he gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So he doesn't just bring winning, although we love winning, right? I mean, think about it, right? Like, we, like I, I know, by the way, I know you guys love winning because I've seen your Facebook pages and the memes you post on them. Right? We love winning. Right? That's just kind of, especially if you grew up in American, like that, like winning is like so American. I, my, my brother-in-law, he lives in London, and he was talking about the differences between the American youth soccer program and the youth soccer program in England. He's like, well, I know why the, the one in America is so bad. I'm like, why? He's like, because you guys keep score. He's like, why are you keeping score with five and six-year-olds? I was like, because we want to win, dude. I mean, duh. He's like, we don't start keeping score until they're 12 or 13. And we just teach them how to play the game and play the game properly. It's like, all you guys care about is winning. And then what ends up happening is one person's more athletic than everybody else and just runs down the field and scores 30 goals and win. And the team walks off like they did something. And no one learns how to play soccer properly. Right? We love winning here. But if we're going to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, right, experiencing that joy and that victory that Christ has given us, we need to understand how we function within the body of Christ. Like what, what has God called us to as people? Beyond just winning, but how do we function as a team? Right? How do we function as a group of believers on mission for Christ? Like, what is, what is that calling? And, so, and, and Paul says some specific things here. Right? He says, look, he says, God gives leaders to the church to fulfill specific roles and duties. Now, why? Why does God give leaders to the church? So that they do all the work? Open book. You guys can give an answer. I'm seeing, I'm seeing a couple of head nods. I'm seeing a bunch of people look away because they're afraid to give the wrong answer. It's okay. You're not being tested here. Right? No. Right? God does not give leaders to the church so that they can do all the work. Right? He says there, leaders are gifted men and women given to the church. Why? 
for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Who are the saints? Huh? The church. Thank you. You. Right? If you are in Christ, you are the church. You are a saint. Right? That is the terminology that God uses for you. Right? And what he's saying here is like, hey, gifted men and women are given to the church as leaders so you might use your gifts and your abilities for the sake of the gospel. Right? So that the church might be built up to work toward unity, to grow in knowledge, and speak the truth and love to those around us. Right? Evangelism. This is what God calls each and every one of us to. See, there's this, there's this deficit in understanding what the church is supposed to look like. And it's been going on for a couple of generations now, right? At least in the church in America, where we believe that our role is to show up on Sunday or to show up at Sunday school or a community group or whatever it may be, right? And then there's a few key people within that ministry that we bring, any unbelieving friends or whoever else to, that we bring those people to, those few gifted key leaders, and they're supposed to do all the work, right? And that our, our job is just to gather and bring to the people who really do things, right? And that spits directly in the face of what Paul says the church is supposed to look like. Right? That the church should look like a few key leaders training you to do the work and then to work alongside you. Right? Like, can I just tell you guys, like, as, as, as one of the elders at Aletheia Church here in Gainesville, here are our goals. Right? Here's what will measure success for us. Right? That if we at leadership here can give you a big picture of God and his love for you, And then in that big picture, encourage and equip you to use the gifts that God has given you so that we can all work together to be the church every day in every facet of our lives. That's what we want. So if you are a school teacher, that you are being salt and light to the students around you and your fellow teachers at whatever school you're at. So that if you are a student, you're not just here to get a degree, but you're also here to be a light for the gospel in your classrooms. If you work locally in a factory, right, to be a light in that factory for the gospel every day. And not just trying to get somebody into the doors of Aletheia Church on a Sunday morning, but that you can share your testimony of what God has done in your life and be able to explain to them the life-giving power and message of the gospel. Our, Our goal is to equip you in doing that so that you might reach your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers, your family members, so on and so forth, all the days of your life. Not needing them to do that at a church service or a crusade or whatever else we've designed as a program in the church over the course of the last 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years. But that God's desire for us is that we would live out of our identity and in that share the good news of Christ with everyone. That's, that's the calling. Right? And so, so our goal in gathering on Sunday morning is to encourage and equip you guys for the, for the remaining hours throughout this week to make much of Christ in your life. Our goal is if you are plugged into a community group here is to encourage you to live out the implications of your identity to those around you. 
So that when, when someone comes up to you and says, well, wait a minute, why are you a Christian? You could say, because I have victory because there's sin and death have been defeated. I know who I once was, and now I know who I am in Christ. If your neighbor's marriage is failing, you can speak into that and pray for them and be a light to them and be patient and humble and generous and love towards them. Right? Being the hands and feet of Christ every day of your life. And so four quick things I want us to point out and, and, and call us to respond to that we see in the text this morning. Right, number one, right, here's what we see. Paul's been abundantly clear about this in every chapter up until this point and even in chapter four. The gospel gives us an identity, right? God gives us an identity in him and his family because of what Christ has done. Right, think about who's writing this letter. Who's, who is writing this letter to the church at Ephesus? Paul, right? right? And look at what Paul says there in verse 1. He says, I therefore, what? A prisoner for the Lord. Turn over to Acts chapter 9 with me real quick. I want us to look at what Paul was before he met Christ. Right? Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 1. But Saul, that's Paul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, that means being a follower of Christ, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And guess what he was doing with them? Killing them. So here you have Paul, right? A member of the Jewish Sanhedrin, a religious leader, a legalist, and a Pharisee, right? He finds his identity in walking around and in walking around punishing and arresting and putting to death Christians. That's his goal. That, that, that is who he is. Then, he, then a little bit later there in chapter 9, Jesus shows up and says, dude, stop. Follow me. I'm simplifying that, by the way. Follow me, right? Submit to me. Stop kicking against the goads, right? Stop working against me and the church and what I'm doing. And guess what? He goes from trying to destroy the church and killing Christians to planting churches. He goes from having a place of prominence in Jewish life to when he introduces himself in verse 1 of chapter 4 to willingly calling himself a prisoner for the Lord, like he's excited about being a prisoner. He, by the way, when he writes this letter, he is in a Roman prison. He's like, hey, because of the gospel, I've been imprisoned, and it's for the sake of the gospel, and I'm pretty excited about it. Like, it is, it is a joy for him to be in prison for the Lord. How is Paul able to do that? Because he knows who his identity is rooted in. It's no longer rooted in the approval of the other Pharisees or Sanhedrin members. It's no longer rooted in the approval of the Jewish synagogue leaders or the king or anyone else. His approval has been given to him in Christ. And from that approval, he is able to do everything we see him do in the book of Acts. As you and I are given that same identity if we are a follower of Christ, that we've been called in the same manner that Paul was, chosen, 
called, loved, forgiven, redeemed, and adopted. That is the story of every Christian who has ever walked this earth. You, you have the same identity as Paul. Paul. Yes, Paul was an apostle. Yes, Paul had a unique place in the history of the church. But from an identity standpoint, you are in the same family and given the same identity as him. In Christ. Right? Do not allow the cares of this world and the suffering you or I may experience to cloud the fact that because of Jesus, you have an identity. You are loved. You are forgiven. You are adopted, and you are given a purpose, which is to make much of Jesus. Now, not only does the gospel give us an identity, but then in giving us that identity, look at the next thing it does. God equips us from that identity for mission. Right, look at verse 7 and verse 12 with me. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Then moving down to verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. I want you to pause and think about this for a second. If you're a covenant member here, especially, this refers to you. Pause and think about this for a few seconds because this is really important to understanding why the church exists. There's a logical progression to what Paul says in these verses. Right? God defeats sin and death. God gives gifts to his followers, right? Gifts of the Holy Spirit. God then gives leaders to his people to train and equip them. Here's what that means. If God has given you gifts and also given you leaders to grow and be equipped in those gifts, you have a task and a job to do within the body of Christ. Now, I don't know what exactly that is, but you have a job for the sake of the gospel, Each and every one of you in here, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have a job. You have a God-given job to live out and follow. And it looks different around, but look to the person to your left. And seriously, I mean this. Look to the person to your left right now. All right, there's no one there. Just wave to the air, right? Now look to your right. Now look behind you. See See that person? There you go. Yeah, there we go. See those people sitting next to you? Here's something you need to know about your gifting and what God has called you to do. That person needs you. They need you. I need you. God gifts us all uniquely to live out that calling because we need one another. In living out this calling to make much of Christ, right? If you just think about some of the spiritual gifts that that God bestows that are listed in Scripture, gifts like hospitality. How many of you guys had some food or coffee when you went in here this morning? Yeah, about half of you guys. There's people that love you and do that every week and serve you so that you have something to eat if you didn't get something to eat before you got here. Every week. They just give up their time. They give up their, their, their ability to sleep in a little extra so they can get here early so that you can have some food or drink. So that you might be a little bit more comfortable in hearing the word and being able to sing and worship God. Right? There's gifts of mercy. I don't have that gift. 
Okay? I am so thankful for people who, who have the gift of mercy because oftentimes when I'm processing through a counseling situation or whatever else and I'm sitting down with somebody in that gift and I'll be like, especially Jackie, she's got this gift. And so you know, I'll be talking through it and I'll just say, hey, I think I'm going to tell this person that they're a loser and they need to follow Jesus. And she'll be like, okay, um, let's not do that. Right? right? Let's show the grace of God to that person and maybe think of a different way to call them to repentance. I need people with that gift around me so that I might more fully walk out what it means to be a follower of Jesus. There's gifts of serving. There are people in this church who just, like, they just show up to everything and give their time to everything. It's unbelievable to me. There's gifts of generosity. People just writing checks. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll give to that. You know, there's gifts of leadership. There's gifts of faith. There's gifts of, gifts of prayer. One of my favorite gifts in all of Scripture that I do not have, administration. People that, there, some of you guys have just been given gifts by God to see something and be like, hey, that's pretty chaotic. I bet I could bring some order to that. Let me just swoop in, right, and clean up my mess. Hey, this isn't very efficient. Let's fix it. Do you have any idea how thankful I am for you? Right, God calls each and every one of us Right, to understand that we have these gifts. And as leaders in the church, we want to encourage you here to discover what that gift may be. We can help, but here's the deal. You have to come around and actually talk through these things with us and help, us, help you discover what your gifts are so that you can use them. As cool as some of those spiritual gifts tests are that you can take online right, and then post on your Facebook page what you've got, right, whatever it may be, that's, that's all good and fine, but you need to actually be living out and using those gifts so that the church might be built up. And guess what? If the church gets built up, guess what happens? Jesus gets made much of. It's a logical progression, but we have to fall into and walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been given, and that includes using the gifts that God has given us. Third thing. We need to grow up and mature. And I was really convicted by this when I read verses 13 through 16. Right, but look at what he says. Until we all attain... To the unity of, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and in de deceitful schemes. Right, I, guys. When I was reading this passage and kind of preparing for this, I, I noticed something about myself. Um, over the course of the last week and a half. Some of you guys have probably seen what's been going on in the political arena. I am not going to talk about the specifics of that, but I can just tell you this. The, the level of frustration I have had with politics in this country has reached a breaking point for me. I, I, that, that's just where I'm at. And, and as I was like super frustrated and thinking through this, and then I came to this passage, I, just, I, I felt like the Lord was saying this to me. Kevin, you are really good at seeing the problems around you and really good about complaining at them, but you suck at serving and providing helpful solutions to those problems. And as I was sitting there thinking through that, I'm like, you know, you, you, do you know why that is? Because I'm refusing to grow up into maturity and manhood the way that God calls me to here in these verses. 
I allow myself to be thrown to and fro between every single argument on every single political side instead of allowing myself to sit in the middle in my identity, knowing what God has said to be true about me and the world around him. And so someone screams one thing about the right and someone else screams one thing about the left and guess what I am? Tossed to and fro. Why? Because I have not allowed myself to mature and grow up in the full stature of Christ. And, and, and like, here's the reality, right? Can, it, can any of you guys relate to that, by the way, or is it just me? Yeah, okay, a few hands, right? right the, the reality is this. Paul says from our identity, we should be growing into mature manhood. Right, Proverbs 9, 6 says this, right? Can you throw that up there for me? Right, leave your simple ways and live and walk in the ways of insight. Right, caring more about little arguments and the things that we find ourselves uh, debating on Facebook or debating with somebody on campus or debating with, in, our, in our cubicle at work or whatever it may be, right? Guys, let me just tell you something. That's simple compared to the kingdom of God. Right, that, the, that the task at hand is for us to know our Bibles, know who our God is, and know what our gifts are so we can live that out. And in living that out, uh, with, with, you know, the reality is, right, and I thought of this, like, without growing up in maturity, you know what life often looks like? Anybody ever read that book, Lord of the Flies? Life just kind of looks like that. You drop a bunch of kids on the island and just chaos ensues. Like, that, that, that is what life can look like without growing into maturity and knowing what Christ has called us to. And yet the call here from Paul is saying, look, you, you don't even have to do anything. You need to know who you are in Christ, and then in knowing that, respond to it. And grow up in manhood, being renewed in your mind by what God has said is true about you, is true about his church, and true about the world around us. And if we do that, guess what will happen? Number four, the church on mission can change the world. If the church is truly on mission every day, guys, I'm telling you, the world will change. You won't have to argue over Supreme Court justices or presidents or senators or state senators or GRU or your dean or your boss or whatever. You want to know why? Because we're not just, we're not interested in changing policy. God's interested in changing hearts. This is, this is like my main issue with, with some of my family who are like red-blooded conservatives and like, you know, like they're just, they were so excited about getting conservative Supreme Court justices. And guess, here's my thing with all that. You know, my parents care deeply about the abortion issue. And I do too. But guess what? Policy's not going to change human hearts. And guess what changes human hearts? God. And guess, guess who is supposed to be taking the message forward of the gospel and what God does to people? The church. And guess who is the church? You and I. We are called, right, to be the church in every sphere of our lives. Right? If you look at verse 1, look at, he says, therefore, and he's referring back to the previous verses, right? Verses 20 and 21. He says in verse 20 and 21 of chapter 3, now to him who is able to do what? 
far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. That's who we're serving. A God, if you care about issues in politics, guess what? God's able to do more than that. Because he doesn't just care about that. He cares about the human heart behind the actions. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power of the work within us, guess what that is? The power of the gospel. The power of the gospel living inside of you by the work of the Holy Spirit is able to do far more than you believe it is. To him be the glory in what? In the church. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is what Paul is talking about. God chooses you God chooses me so that we might display his power, his glory, and the good news throughout every generation. That is our calling, that we get to make much of Christ, that we get to expose others to the good news of who Christ is. And then guess what? God gets the glory read the end of Revelation, every knee will bow and sing worthy, worthy, worthy is the lamb who was slain. So here's, here's what I'm gonna encourage us to do. I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and ask Luke to come on back up if we could turn the lights down, right? I'm gonna lead us in a time of prayer, okay? And here's what I'm gonna, here's, here's my charge to us as a church, right? Whether you're a covenant member here or not, Right? If you are a follower of Christ, you are a member of the church, the body of Christ. Right? And so I'm just going to lead us in a time of prayer where we might ask God to mature us. Right? And so I'm going I'm to lead us in some things, and I'm going to give us some times to, to pray and reflect personally, and then I'm going to lead us in, in the next wave of what I'm asking us to pray for. And I would ask that as you sit there and you're responding to the word of God, right, about this identity of who you are, that you would genuinely seek him and ask him to invade your heart so that you might live for him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the promises you say we are if our identity is in Christ. And so Father, right now I pray for each and every one of us. Lord, if there's anyone here that has not given their lives to you and submitted to you as Lord and Savior, Lord, might you save them right now. And for anyone here who already knows that they are in Christ, Lord, might you lead us in this time that we might respond. So Lord, I, I just meet us right now. If you're, if you're sitting out there right now, just pray that God would reveal himself to you. And that you might know who you are in him.
we discover our identity or might be reminded of who we are in you. God, might you reveal to us what gifts you have given us and might we long to use them to make much of you. So as you pray, you pray that God would reveal your gifts to you to start serving and using them for his glory and his namesake. that you would reveal to us any area of our lives where we're not growing up into maturity but allowing ourselves to be thrown to and fro amongst competing ideas and ideologies are you sharing the parable of the sower being choked up by the weeds and the thorns around us as you pray you ask God to reveal those areas of your life where you're not maturing and repent and ask for his forgiveness and receive that forgiveness fully and then out of that ask God to change you and walk in the direction of your identity in Christ wisdom and renew our minds daily so that we might be the everyday church living out this calling in every facet of our lives every minute of every day seeking to make much of you and your kingdom and as you're praying this morning I would, I would ask that you would ask God in this time who am I actually sharing the good news with Lord place somebody on my heart that I might be a light to to share the good news of the gospel too. Would you ask him to meet you there?
us a purpose. Right? To be ambassadors for your kingdom. And Lord, may we live out of that purpose and that identity. Lord, help us to see the people that, that maybe you just laid on our hearts right now. And let us be intentional this week going forward, Lord. Help us to love them well and to actively share the good news with them. Father, I pray that you would give us boldness and strength to carry the good news forward. Lord, as we continue to reflect this morning, may we worship you in spirit and in truth. God, thank you for your son and all that he's done. Thank you for your word. And Lord, I personally thank you for this church who are a great encouragement to me in the way that they live this out and want to make much of you. And Lord, help us to do it better as you sanctify us each and every day. And I ask this all in Jesus' name.